Hello and welcome to the 442 Podcast. I'm James Brown, Editor-in-Chief. Today I'm joined by former QPR Leeds and Palace midfielder Sean Derry. All right, Sean? Very well. Nice yeah. to see you. Great to be here. Cheers. There's more clubs in that list, isn't there? There is, yeah. Yeah, there is more. Fill the list. Notts County, yeah. uh, my hometown club. Uh, played my first game for them on, on, on my 10th birthday. Um, left at 20 and went to Sheffield United. Yeah. Then had a massive argument with... Neil Warnock and he sent me as far as he could um, away to Portsmouth. Yeah. So I had a couple of years at Portsmouth, up to Palace, went to Leeds via Nottingham Forest on loan, back to Palace again. You QPR ended at Millwall. You should have been a travel writer. Well, do you know what? I never wanted to stay in a one place. I really didn't. I didn't okay. want to stay in one place. I, I, I never wanted to, to be one of them players that had a testimonial. Okay. Want to go and see a few sites nice. and I did. Somebody who deserves a testimonial. He's written or commissioned 30 pages of the latest issue of 442. It's Chris Flanagan who's sitting alongside Sean. All right, Chris. Morning. Yeah, you okay? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. This is your second podcast you did with us. Your second booking. Uh, yes. Yeah. Did you get the money for the first one? No, it's not come through yet. <laughs> so look, before we talk to you more in depth, Sean, about uh, what the summer months are like for a player, uh, from a uh, from a player and a manager's perspective, let's just have a little chat about some of the things that's going on in football this week. Can I just ask you? You played against the? Did you play against Lampard ever? Yeah. Yeah. I'd wanna... Do you think he'll make a good Chelsea manager? I do, and I, and I say that on the basis of as a, as a player, he was, um, you know, his leadership qualities were in- incredibly outstanding. They really were. You talk about John Terry being the leader of Chelsea, but he he didn't do that on his own. You know, he was obviously a centre half, and Lampard was the midfielder who kind of just drifted around the pitch, and you always knew when you played against him that he was a top communicator. Mm-hmm. And I found that of late, um, presently. Um, spending time up at St. George's Park on a pro licence and privileged to say that Frank Lampard and Jody Morris are in the same group yeah. as, as what we are. So I've seen what he's like, you know, from a, a leadership angle as well. And he's, I think he's outstanding. I really do. Okay. And what about Jody Morris? Because Chelsea fans know him as a player, but he's been behind the scenes, hasn't he? Working with the youth there. He's, yeah. he's really highly rated, isn't he? He is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much so that, you know, you they come as a pair. I mean, I look at them both as a pair and see, okay. obviously, the you know, the tag of the manager, the head coach, Chelsea, legendary status, belongs to Frank. Yeah. But he respects Jody so much that he probably recognises that he can't do the job without Jody Morris. Okay, that's interesting. So, um, Chris, what's your take on Lampard to uh, Chelsea, if that happens? I think it'd be interesting how it works out because, I mean, it's actually... Chelsea haven't gone down this route too often in recent times. They generally will will bring in a Di Matteo. Yeah, but that, even that was only an interim. Yeah, boss. it was sort of by accident, really. They've not necessarily gone and got a, a legend or an inexperienced manager for a long time. So in a way, we don't really know how it's going to go. It could it could be brilliant. I mean, obviously, there's no doubt that the fans are going to be well behind him, and that that'll certainly help. Um, but yeah, it's. It's, it's one of the biggest kind of unknowns. What do you Chelsea think? Did you see Derby last year? I mean, you support Bolton. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I, I I saw them play against Bolton, and they they absolutely battered us. And I think it could. I think Lampard said after that game, it could have been ten, and it really could have been. Um, I mean, I, I was I was impressed with what he did at Derby because they cut the budget, which is why Gary Rowett left the summer beforehand. Yeah, and then obviously they end up getting further than Derby had done in the season before, and anyway by getting to the final. 
So I think he did a pretty good job there. Um, See, I disagree. I think that when when we went to the uh, first leg, Leeds dispatched both times in the in in the league, and when we went to the playoff first match at Pride Park. I was really shocked when I saw the team because I'd heard all this stuff about young players. Nugent, Carson, Bradley Johnson, who you played with, I think, at Leeds. Uh, there was Who else was there? Um, Huddleston. It was a very, very experienced, well-paid team there. That level of player, you know, m- most championship teams don't have four or five ex-Premier League players. I think that was... Probably one of the reasons why Frank went into Derby County is, you know, he had a, a remit to use better words, but to get rid of these higher end, high earning players. And you can't get rid of them all. The okay. players always hold the power. Of course, when you sign a four or five year yeah. deal and you're earning X amount of pounds, unless somebody's going to match that, then the likelihood is you're going to stay and sit around on your contract. Now, how do you maximize that? You've got to use them to a certain degree. I think the case for this and Frank Lampard is. How many managers, top, top managers with massive amount of experience want the Chelsea job knowing that you can't sign players mm. because you're always going to get judged on the, you know, the out, the output, which is where you finish on the, in the is league. Is that a definite then? If somebody hasn't followed it too closely. Are they definitely banned from signing They're, they're trying to appeal, um, but whether they'll be successful in that, we don't know yet. Because I would have thought, having seen a, a fair few of the Chelsea uh youth players loaned out into the championship over the last few years, that it's probably the best thing for them in terms of rebuilding the club. Possibly. I mean, it, it for for next season, it's certainly not the best thing for them, but it may be in two, three years' time. I mean, the, 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 the big case in point is Tammy Abraham. Yeah. We've seen him now go to Bristol City and Aston Villa in the, in the championship and do really well. Obviously, at Swansea, not not quite. He started off well, didn't didn't continue that for the whole season. But if you know, if ever there's a player that maybe deserves a chance at Chelsea, it's someone like him. Obviously, that would never have happened before. Maybe no. with an embargo, now it might happen. And then it's you know what what someone like Tommy makes of that. Well, talking about players, Sean, can you just can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like for a player and a manager in this period? Because as a fan, I mean, I, I've never done this before, but I was thinking of muting. The, the phrase Leeds United on my Twitter account. I'm sure there's lots of other fans of other clubs that do that, but because the kind of fury and the fear and the, the the hope around who's going, who's staying, it just drives you mad. What's it actually like, first of all, being somebody who's an employee, essentially, and who, who could be moving house and the rest of it and moving clubs? And then secondly, what's it like as a manager? Very, very different. I've got to say, obviously, you know, coming from right at the end of my, end of my career, spending time at um, at Millwall. But prior to spending time at Millwall, coming out, I still had a year left of my contract at QPR. Now, the difference is being an out-of-contract player to being an, an in-contract player. Yeah. When you're an out-of-contract player, what a worrying summer. It doesn't matter. Take away the top percentage of yeah, you know, yeah, the top f- top end professional footballers who are going to be courted by a lot of top clubs. If you're a mid range or you know you're an older player, sometimes yeah. and you find yourself out of contract, that's a worrying time. You got to think about your responsibilities at home, mortgages, kids, future, where we're going to live. Is that really the case? Because we it hear is. that players earn so Not much, everybody but, earns but we that normally though, James. we this normally hear key. about the top players, don't we? Of course, everything's revolved around the elite. 
everyone wants to hear about what does the Ronaldo's, what do the Messi's, what do you know all these top players, what do they do every day? Well, what about what do the other lads do? What about yeah. you know the mid-range Premier League players? Or let's talk about the League Two players. You know the ones that are perhaps mm. not earning as much as perhaps people in this yeah. building are yeah, earning. Yeah, yeah. Now, not everybody earns twenty grand a week, so that is a really, really worrying place to be. Now, being a manager and having to deal with that, telling somebody, "Listen, mate, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be signed next year." And seeing them actually, I've had players cry in front of me. And it's the worst feeling you could ever, ever. Young players. You know, young or players, old. senior players. You know, there's situations that none of these courses get you. You know, you, you don't do a course on how to get rid of a player. You know, it's all about the emotional they side don't, of it. really, not. No, no, it's not, you know. And, and I've enjoyed my courses. But I've got to say, there's been certain situations that have took place in the last six years that are not even a pro license could get you ready for. What like? I had a situation at Notts County where, and this is, uh, I, I, do you know what? I've never spoke about this. I was in the job two weeks, didn't understand the role at all. I'm not, you know, not embarrassed to say that. I didn't, you know, Notts County took a gamble on me and I took yeah. a gamble on them at the same time. But two weeks into the job, um, we had a under 23 group at that time and Nottingham, Notts County, major city, um, good football club in there. Two lads in the under-23s. One of them was part of a gang and the other lad was part of a different gang. And they were sharing the same dressing room, the same training pitch, and then at night being literally at war with each other. And a situation took place between both players, and I won't mention both the names, but two players, differing gangs, situation, I had to deal with it as a 35-year-old manager. I didn't go, I, I, that, I didn't learn that on my B licence or my A licence, that's mm -hmm. for sure. So... How was that resolved? It was resolved by, we had to get HR involved and we had to try and bring, you know, the parents weren't prevalent in both their, you know, yeah. in, in both their um, families. And we had to, sadly, we had to get rid of both players at the right time. And that's a difficult situation. You know, they good players? They had a chance. Yeah. They had a chance. They had a chance. But it was outside situations that stopped mm. them from being a professional footballer. Now, that's an extreme case. Yeah. But flip it onto what we're talking about in terms of being out of contract. They're difficult situations to take care of. And it's worrying for a young player now when you know, especially Leagues 1 and Leagues 2 when you're only signing one-year deals. Well, what I was wondering was, uh, there's a great book about Notts County called Stake Diana Ross, written by, written by a guy in... A, he was a student and he got picked up. I mean, it's pre the academy system. He got picked up in Notts County and then they somehow got promoted from Division 2 to the old Division 1, which is the Premier League now. I think his name is David Thomas. He writes for The Times... It's a brilliant book, but in the summer, they got like a retainer of something like a tenner a week, and which was a lot less than the earned for players. And and him and the uh, the centre forward got jobs selling eggs. Mm. It was like they were... It, it's a fascinating insight. Do players ever now consider investing money outside, learning a skill that's not football-related? Are they encouraged to? Yeah. Because obviously you've... 
had success as, as, as a manager and assistant manager and you, you had a very successful playing career, but a lot of them don't. How many of them are actually thinking, oh, is there something I can do outside of here? Well, I've got to say, when I went into Cambridge United, I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of people doing courses, you know, looking yeah. to the future. You know, there was more than five or six who really were really interested in something slightly okay. different to just football. Um, but were they football related or? No, okay. no, they weren't. No, you know, there was there was open people doing open degrees and, you know, it was it was fantastic to see them on a bus, three or four of them with a book open at the back rather than just watching a, a film on an iPad or, you know, yeah. listening to music. Did, did that make did that did that make you think more of them as players? Yeah, it did not actually. as people, but as players. Did it make you think, okay, you can take on more? Yeah, there was one lad there called Harrison Dunk, who's a left, left back, stroke left winger. Yeah, and um, really intelligent guy. You know, he's got a good background in terms of his education, and he showed his intelligence as a footballer as well. Yeah. And I always looked at Harrison Dunk and looked upon him as a pretty reliable guy. Yeah, you know, as a guy and as a player as well. And you, know, you make your mind up. In different ways, don't you, about people? Yeah. You know, people's strengths come out in different ways. Did you make of all this? Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean... Because your, your club is... Is it in administration? Uh, well, it is, but hopefully um, there's going to be a new owner very, very shortly now. Um, something's been agreed with the administrators for, okay. a, for a consortium. So hopefully... What's it feel like? I mean, I know, because Le- Leeds have been through that, uh, sadly, but what's it feeling like for you Bolton fans at the moment thinking is it going to be a team is there is it going to be just youth players what? yeah well certainly for the last few weeks it has been like that so now now there's a possibility of an owner it's starting to get fans are starting to get a bit more hopeful but yeah the fact that we didn't i mean i think we've got six senior players for next season of which two have got two are goalkeepers um the manager didn't know you know it's, it's been phil parkinson but was that going to continue no one no one knew so you think he whole, should continue because um, I'm more in favour than I think most fans don't want him to continue just because of the style of player and obviously the, relegation okay. but we're I good think, against Leeds yeah at Ellen Road yeah we did, that was one of our better games but yeah it, it's, it certainly hasn't been good this season but I mean the, the, the only thing I, that I sort of thought was when they were in the League One last time he got them promoted out of League One and he's actually quite he's a very good League One manager um, but I think unfortunately his style of play the, there's a big disconnect yeah. between him and the fans now and it's Sean, what's the worst you've ever seen a colleague or uh, like a teammate or, or, or somebody who's playing for you show up for pre-season physically? Did you play with Lee yeah, Trundle? Did, I didn't, know, but <laughs> I heard stories of Lee. Yeah. I did. And talent is... <laughs> no to doubt. have talent is just brilliant. But you need more than that. You need yeah. a mentality to go with it. And... Leo probably say, you know, that's probably what let him down in his career. When I was at Notts County, there was two of us. There was myself and a, a centre-half called Matt Redmile. And he's a, he, you know, he was a pal of mine. So, yeah. you know, I'm not speaking out of turn here. I was linked with two or three clubs as a 20-year-old. He was a year older than me. And he yeah. was linked strongly with Middlesbrough at the time. And um, to, I mean, I, I ended up going to Sheffield United for a lot of money back then. And yeah. Matt was actually talked about going for more money than me. So we, you know, we, we were playing for Notts County, two young players, went into the end of the season. And I, my mentality just switched on straight away. I've got to keep myself fit and I've got to start the season really well next year. Matt come back probably two and a half stone heavier than leaving 
the previous season. And his chance of being a professional footballer right at the very top where Middlesbrough was sat at that moment in time just left him within six weeks. Amazing. His diet, his lifestyle, everything, the decisions that he made. And I'm sure Matt now as a 42-year-old man would look back and say that was his biggest regret in his in his you know his, what, in his life what about further on in your career when you're playing at likes of leeds qpr you've established crystal palace was it ever comical how somebody would show up it was did it cause amusement oh god absolutely i mean the general consensus when i was playing was two and a half weeks let your air down don't touch the gym let your body recover you know yeah go and have your beers Keep out, the, you know, keep out of sport altogether. And then gradually you get yourself back. Just two and a half weeks off. Just two and a half weeks off. And that's how I lived my yep. close season. I think some of the lads probably left it to two and a half days coming back for pre-season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had certain players, all them football clubs that you've mentioned, that you just knew they've not done a stitch for them seven weeks out of, out of you know, playing football. Who? <laughs> Neil Shipley um, was one. Ships was, Ships, right? Ships was one of the first guys who had one of these, I've got a watch on now, a polar watch. Yeah. So obviously it measures, you know, all the steps and, you know, everything. Unbelievable watches. And honestly, this is a true story. So we train at Crystal Palace and about... 75 80% into the session, you'd hear a beeping watch, and it would be Ships's watch telling him that he's burnt off a thousand calories in the <laughs> session. And Ships would literally stand and do nothing else in the whole session. And I'd go, Ships, what are you doing, mate? You know, training's yeah. going on. He went, Oh, no, no, thousand calories. That's fine for me. That means I can have me four cans of um, lager on the train <laughs> home. And I can have me Indian tonight. <laughs> and that was Neil Shipley. Absolutely classic. That's Neil Shipley. We've actually got a picture of him in the quiz this month, which gives away one of the questions if, you, if you've not done it yet. And he, the question is, which Premier League footballer was this? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. But, um... Talking about um, the manager that you played for, who were the most influential for you, not just when you were playing, but what you've taken away from it as, you, as you've moved into management? Well, people will talk about mine and Neil Warnock's relationships. Obviously, you know, yeah. played under him at Sheffield United, Crystal Palace and QPR. And, you know, the respect that I have for Neil 
and probably you know vice versa we 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 really done our jobs together you know yep. I mean? he trusted me and i trusted him okay and what about um are there any managers that you really wanted to chin or, or any <laughs> no no <laughs> well you can answer that if you want. but was there, what i'm thinking is you're in the summer you, you, your contract's coming to an end or you've heard rumours that people, you know, that your club are prepared to listen to offers. Uh, has there been anyone that you've really wanted to play for and maybe it's been a possibility? Yeah. And then it's question. not happened? Yeah. So when I, um, 2010 and Crystal Palace um, yeah. obviously had that struggle and we ended up drawing against Sheffield Wednesday. Club thankfully managed to stay um, as a football club. And I was out of contract at that in that summer. And nobody was discussing any kind of extensions. So I was free to speak to others. I didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to stay at Crystal Palace. And um, I got a phone call off Roy Keane whilst he was Ipswich manager. Yeah. Now, Roy Keane is a true hero of mine. You know, As a player. As a player. Yeah. yeah. I just thought he was just the best midfielder, you know, growing up and being a young player. So I went down to Ipswich's training ground and met him, met him for an hour. And it was funny because I had a Range Rover at the time, but the night before I'd parked it under this massive tree where I lived. Okay. And birds had shit on all, all over the roof and all over the um okay. over the bonnet. So I said to I said to my wife Jolin, I said, Listen, I have to take your car and she had a little golf. So I travelled down to Ipswich in this golf. Parked up outside. Went into his office and his secretary called me in and Roy was sat there. It was a you know, pretty big office. Not an awful lot in there. Just this fridge in the corner and Roy was sat there and my heart's going because it's was a he, hero of Was mine. he in tracksuit, in suits? He was, in a, he was kind of in a tracksuit. Okay. And um, so he looked at me and as Roy often does, he catches your eye and it gave me this glare. And I thought, What's, what is the first words he's going to say to me? And he went, I'm glad you've not got one of them big Range Rovers. <laughs> he said, I'm sick and tired of seeing players arrive with Range Rovers in the championship. He said, I love it that you've got a golf. <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> you don't want to see what's on the drive at home, mate. And, and that but we was... had the best hour, James. Really? Honestly, it, it was probably, I'd love to sit here and talk about the hour that we had because, again, what a guy. Did he what know your career despite having played at the level above, was he familiar with you or was already become familiar when you'd become a manager in the with Sunderland? And, and, he, he knew exactly the types of players that he, he was in the market for. Yeah. He knew he weren't getting top Premier League footballers. He knew he was shopping in a different supermarket. And why didn't that work out? It didn't work out because at that moment in time, I was 32 and I wanted a two-year deal. And... Um, Initially, he promised me a two-year deal, yeah, and we'd agreed a, a package on a, of a two-year deal. And Marcus Evans, did you do that yourself, or did you have an agent? Well, I had an agent, but I went and spoke on behalf of myself, yeah. Um, and the agent, you know, respected me as a thirty-two-year-old yeah, footballer yeah. who kind of knew what he wanted to allow me to go down on my own. Um, but he knew exactly what he wanted at that football club at the time, and. He promised me, he promised me this two-year deal. And unfortunately, Marcus Evans, the, the chairman of Ipswich, couldn't agree to the two-year deal. He didn't want a 32-year-old signing two years. It's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. When and QPR think, offered think, me two years. When you years. think about players like Gon Strachan, 
Teddy Sheringham, just players who went on and on and on. It's just nuts, this idea. I was a fit 32-year-old Yeah, you were well. always a very energetic yeah. player. Yeah. So that was a... How I was you, I was gutted. What's that, sorry? How old are you? How old am I? 35. Yeah, you, you want to look after yourself a bit. <laughs> my, my playing days ended about 10 years ago, I'm afraid. <laughs> so go on, tell us a bit more about that, that meme. You know, on the grapevine, you'd heard rumours of Roy's management style. And spiky was obviously a term... Mm. Uh, you know, kind of a, a term that was used a lot about him. But I wanted that. I I, I I thought that I would have been very good for Ipswich yeah. and for him at that moment in time because he wanted a certain type of player. And that was what I was as a 32-year-old. Mm. But, as history will prove, I went to QPR and had a wonderful three years there. A, an unbelievable three years there. Did you play with it. Barton there? Yeah, played with Joey. How yeah. was that? Really, really good. Enjoyed. Uh, he's still a pal now. You yeah, know, we've got, we've actually got a, a WhatsApp discussion on this. Heidi Helgerson on it. Jamie Mackey, me, Clint Hill, Joey, uh, Bradley Orr. You know, what, we had. What, what good did you talk group about? Man. QBR. What are you looking at there? Uh, I'm looking at the phone because yeah. do you know what? I can't even lift it because I know that there'll be some ridiculous message on the front of that phone and it'll be from one of them and uh, so I always put it the other way because it's yeah one of them and what's, what's your impression of, of him becoming a manager and how, he, how he's doing I think he's had a great season I think he's done really well it's difficult league one um, yeah. and it's a difficult football club to manage in um, in Fleetwood you know yeah. a smaller football club at league one as well yeah. but the profile that him and Clint's got Clint Hill being his assistant manager you know, has obviously got a lot of expectation running through people's wishes up in, you know, in a, in a small place yeah. near Blackpool. Now, I think he's done really well. I think it's a really hard job. Completely different to playing. Look, it took me, it took me probably two years to get mm. my head around what management was. I remember know, you what, what, telling what, what me what before that just losing to... Uh, I think when you were at Cambridge, you lost. You'd, had, you'd done really well, and you'd lost two loans because they couldn't get afford to keep, and it just changed the whole thing. Absolutely, that the, the margins were that fine. Yeah, the margins between. Let me tell you, the margins between a loan player that you pay five hundred pound a month, uh, you know, a week for, yeah, and a loan player at seven hundred and fifty pound a week for, that can be the distant difference between four, five, six, ten places. And no, because that's why the, they were the cards that were dealt with me at Notts County mm -hmm. and at Cambridge. You know, you you, you you are fishing in a different waters. You are. It's mm. difficult. But Joe, going back to Joe, I think, you know, listen, Joe, 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 Joe's one of these guys and you? you either love him or you absolutely hate him. And I love him. Okay, that's interesting. His book's good. I read his book. Michael Calvin wrote it. Yeah. Read that earlier this great, year. Okay, look, we've got just, uh, before we move on, we have a couple of stories from the latest issue of the magazine. Here's Tanya Snugs with the top five stories from the 442 website. At five, Ada Hagerberg, why the world's best female footballer won't be playing at the Women's World Cup. At number four, can you name the 30 highest transfers out of the Premier League? We look at the five players Arsenal should sell at number three. At two, we make nine bold transfer predictions that will definitely happen this summer. And the most read story on the 442 website, five areas where Liverpool can improve this summer and get to the next level. Thanks, Tanya. Um, Chris, you know, as the, the features writer on the magazine, you've got a, 
you know, you do put. I mean, when people read magazines or websites, ever, I think they just. I don't think they ever consider what goes in there, mate. You know, where I live, people leave magazines out in the street. You know, they're clearing stuff out. You see a big pile of L or something like that. Drives me mad the effort that you put in to actually making it for something that might something might read for twenty minutes on a train and and leave it on there. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you don't do that. But you did thirty pages of the last issue and. Uh, Tell us about some of the pieces that you've got in there very quickly. Uh, yeah, so um, spoke to to JJ Acocha. Um, what, what was that like? Obviously a hero. For yeah, the well, definitely. Yeah, from from the the peak here of, of of following Bolton for sure. Yeah, he was he was a really nice guy. And I think as soon as I mentioned I was a Bolton fan, obviously that uh, that put him in a good mood straight away. Yeah, um, and he was he was telling me about kind of obviously his, his happy memories of his time at the club and like driving all the way from Paris to Bolton to sign, which seems unnecessary, but apparently he just loved driving. But <laughs> you'd think he could afford a... Don't afford you a drive flight. up there every week? I'm not quite as, as rich as JJ Cotter, I don't think. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's um, and he talks about when he stayed up on the on the final day with uh, in the Premier League and, and how we were, Big Sam had promised that he'd dance with him if, uh, if, he, if he stayed up and they were dancing on the pitch together and things like that. And... And how actually he didn't really do his research when he joined Bolton, so he was, he was a bit shocked that they were actually in a relegation battle in the first place. But I and think probably he, where it was and, and what it was like. Well, <laughs> although he insists he liked the place, so <laughs> got a lot, a lot of friends there. He says and he still kind of nips back every now and then. Now, um, to, speaking about where where people live, Farrell Williams, hmm. England player, yeah, amazing story. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the the most capped England player in history, uh, men or women, and. Yeah. I listened to this. This was incredible, yeah. uh, unbelievable story. Brilliant, brilliant story. Yeah. So, so yeah. Basically, um, at the start of her England career, she was homeless. She was living in a hostel, which is, you know, to to imagine that, you know, it just couldn't happen today, and and, and, right, and, and rightly so. Okay. And 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 she was when you read the interview, she was she was she was basically training with England or playing. Yeah, and then going back to her, right. she'd she'd had a falling out of her parents, hadn't she? Yeah, um, she was estranged from from mother at that point, and thankfully, you know, that's you know, she's yeah. she's reconciled with her mother now. But yeah, she would she'd go she'd go to play for England, and then you know, all the other players would go back to families, and she said she'd go back to the hostel, and it was like back to reality. Yeah, and she sort of felt too embarrassed to tell most of those players. Only her very close friends actually knew about this because it was just too embarrassing for her. But to she tell. was fifteen. Um, she was very young, yeah. I mean, this was for for quite a few years as well. This wasn't just for like six months or something. This was quite a long time. Amazing. Yeah, and to think that she continued to to you know to play 170 games for England from that start. Um, you know, obviously had a huge huge success with England. Um, got an MBE for for work kind of yeah. campaigning. To, you know, to help homeless people now. Um, yeah, it's it's an inspirational story and incredible, really. Now, Paul Robinson, you interviewed as well. Yes, uh, yeah. With the, you asked the questions where the readers send in questions. Yes, yeah. How, how was that? Does, was, when you've done, you've been doing this for years. Has anyone mm. ever refused to ask a reader's answer a reader's question? Um, I think there might have been one with Tim Cale didn't want to ask ask one about when he did the uh, the handcuff celebration. Well, I was, yeah, I could understand that. <laughs> but, now, uh, the, the interesting thing about this Paul Robinson interview, Sean, is he he he, he told Chris he would do it. As as um, I don't know. I presume he hasn't done a book, but for his kids, mm. so his kids knew stuff about him. Yeah, he said it was you know rather than kind of awkwardly sitting down with his kids for three hours and saying this is what I did during my career. He said it was, it was nice. I've to got be a to... confession to make. 
I joined Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's... what's your mean, Dad? <laughs> I really enjoy those interviews because you can talk. I left Leeds and I joined Spurs. <laughs> Was it a day out? <laughs> I, so I really enjoy those interviews. You have like a, an hour, hour and a half with someone and talk through their life. They're really relaxed. I mean, I I interviewed Paul a couple of times when I used to work in, in Blackburn at the local paper there. Yeah. And, you know, after a game, things are, things are different, different. It's a lot more serious. But we, you can have a, sit down with someone... And he came out with great anecdotes, and he's a really nice guy, a really relaxed guy. And we talked about all sorts of things. I mean, but what was the best thing he, he said to you? Um, so, I mean, quite a few things, really. I mean, we talked about obviously Leeds when they played against Barcelona and the you know against Rivaldo. Mm. That was obviously a, a big moment in his career. And about um, Lasagna Gate at Spurs when um, when Spurs obviously were going. And, to the and what was his opinion on that? Well, he he basically he, he was one of the few players who wasn't ill. That day, he said he kind of got got down to the ho- uh, to the, the fo- foyer at the hotel, and it was like the beginning of Saved Private Ryan, with the, all the players just all all kind of all strewn all over the place. What did you think as a player there? Did you think that was nerves, or had they been poisoned? Or I've been in certain hotels um, as a manager and yeah. questioned <laughs> seriously. What is this food all about today? Because of the surely, st- just because of have. the standard. Yeah, the standard was completely horrific. Once we played Leighton Orient away, but hold on, do you mean it was the wrong hotel and the wrong kitchen, or they were giving you a bad meal because you were playing their team? I, I couldn't get my head round how bad this food was. Now take away the quality of the hotel, whoever produced that food. You know, has not done the job properly. And we were playing late and Orient away for Notts County. I think it might be on my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up telling the lads, literally, put your knives and forks down. And there's a Nando's around the corner. Yeah. And all the lads went and had a pre-match in Nando's. Okay. One, two, one. Nice. <laughs> Up the and those would be pleased with that. Well, I mean, I know there was conspiracy theories with the Spurs one about whether, you know, someone had tried to kind of put something in the meal. To, it was because there were so many of them. But I mean, bugs yeah. go around mm. quick, don't they? Yeah, you know? well, Paul Robinson said, it. I, I don't believe that conspiracy theory at all. I mean, he wasn't sure what had happened, but he didn't think it was anything deliberate. But what he also said was, you know, Michael Carrick was ill, but he, he got on with it and played. Yeah. And he, he sort of said, well, how, how ill do you have to be not to play? So I think he maybe wasn't so sympathetic to some of the players who, who didn't play that day. Okay, Sean, you mentioned uh, Orient there, and it's been a, a, a very sad week for uh, Justin Edinburgh's family, obviously, the fans of Orient, and yourself, you were a close friend and a teammate with Justin Edinburgh when you were at Portsmouth. Um, what was it like to play alongside? Well, firstly, I mean, you know, the... The news this week, you know, when it broke, we was in we was in America having a having our family holiday, and um, you know when you get that call, and you know, unfortunately, it came from his son Charlie, and it just blew me away. I've got to say, just out of all the news, you know, and, and were you still we, on the holiday? Or did you just arrived back? We, we was halfway through the holiday, and um, you know, w- w- when it came through that, Justin had, you know took a real bad turn and um, was, was in hospital was just was incredible it really was James and it it knocks you and it and it and it, and it jolted it jolted mm. everybody and as gradually as the week went on and the amount of calls and text messages that were coming through to my phone 
from people who we'd played with in the past. Lads because from they knew Portsmouth. how close you were as, yeah, you know, as mates. Because it's always very difficult, isn't it, to, you know, to contact the family. You know, yeah, you, you've got to be respectful in terms of where they are um, with with the news of what's happened. So I was getting a, a number of calls and the shock, the shock of his pals and, you know, previous people who had played alongside. It's, I think this has rocked everyone. This is the one bit of news over the course of all the time I've been in football where it's just shocked me to the core. I can't believe what's happened. And him as a person, we all remember him, you know, being involved at Tottenham Hotspur for 10... He played for Tottenham for 10 years. He was a fullback for Tottenham for 10 years. He played in the Premier League. To play in the Premier League for one minute, you've got to be a decent player. He played there for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, on the basis of what's took place this last week, you know, and all these incredible messages that you read and you listen to, don't realise how well-respected he was as a a Mm. player, just as a footballer, but as a man... He, he went, he he went over to man. the um, Orient yesterday, you said. Yeah. What, what's the scene like there? It's sombre. It's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It really is. It's, you know, Leighton Orient as a football club and, a, and, a, and, and an ownership, the owners at Leighton Orient have been fantastic. They really mm. have. And, you know, talking to Martin Ling yesterday, who's the, the director of football there, you know, he, he, he can't believe that this shining light that has led this football club for 18 months is is not going to be there no more. And when you see it from kind of, you know, the tightness of the family and the impact that it's had on his wife and children, and then you go into a different environment and you see what the impact is like on the football club, it's it's amazing. It's just... A, it, it, there's no, there is no words. There's no words to describe what's happened. It's tragic. It's tragic. But what I will say, on the back of what's been a truly horrific week, what's been a, a completely horrific week for everybody connected with Justin and his family, the legacy that is going to leave oh, at right. that football club, they have been. Leighton Orient have been such a... It's been a club that's been on its knees. Mm. It's been on its knees. And we, we, we heard about the previous owners, the uh, the, the Italian owners, yeah. and the shambles of that football club at that moment in time. This last 18 months has just been like a breath of fresh air. And it's been led by the leader. Mm. The leader of that football club has given them now hope and brightness going forward. And you'd, you'd imagine that in the same way as Chris Coleman built on what Gary Speed did with Wales, that whoever comes in, there's just there's just a, the fans' will to do well, will I imagine, drive them on. Well, it's going to be a force, isn't it? You know, with, again, you know, did Gary... Anyone, would you would you think about doing, you know, applying for that job yourself or is that not something... I, I, I couldn't. I, c- I couldn't, James. No. I, the, 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 the rawness and the emotion of, of where I am at this moment in time, I can't even think, I can't even think, I couldn't even think about that, no. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've got to be there for, you know, for the people who, who have sadly lo- lost their dad. And, um, 
But what I will say is you've just touched upon Gary Speed there and obviously, you know, when Chris went in as, as the Welsh manager, whoever's going to go into that football club and it's going to be... What a tough decision for the owners. Mm. I mean... They've got to get it right. James, what a tough decision for that, for, for, for that group of men and, and, and women who are going to have to mm. make that next decision. It's, it's a horrible situation. Now, for yourself, before we started recording, you, you, you've uh, you finished this year at Oxford, Oxford United, and you're thinking of moving to the States. You've got an interesting proposition there. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the States has been a place where we call it a second home. You know, yeah. we've been travelling out there for the last 12, 13 years with our, with our children, and we absolutely love America. And, it, you know, when you stumble across somewhere and you just fall in love with that place... Well, that's happened to us. It's like Chris with, with, with Bolton. <laughs> I can see he just hates being down south, doesn't he, Chris? He just needs you know the bright lights club? of I'm Bolton. Sorry to distract briefly. Do you know who his second club is? <laughs> have a guess. Higher or lower? <laughs> You'll have a job guessing. <laughs> I can't guess. Is, is it Rotherham or Doncaster? Doncaster Rovers, yeah. Really? God, it's like... It's like He's really masochist. Anyway, put himself <laughs> through it. <laughs> At the time, there was a big difference. One was in the Premier League, one was in the Conference. Now in the same division. So. I don't, <laughs> well, okay, everything levels out. So, but you might be starting with a new club over there. Well, there's this talk of um, you know this talk of a proposition that might take place over there. I mean, it's in its infancy at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. But I'm open. You know, um, I love football. Love being involved in it, and I can't. Just I, I can't just have a tag of Sean Derry, the manager. Yeah. It's it, it, it's me. I love football, James. Yeah, yeah. And do I know, like seeing different but do you parts know what? of football. I don't know if you ever saw Sean play. I imagine you yeah, did. Yeah. You, as a fan, you could you got that impression. I love it. It's, it's... You no, know, you can tell the players who like playing. I think. Yeah. And uh, Dave Price is a mate of mine. He's he, he was with, with Aberdeen and. and uh, He's out, he's out coaching in, in, in Scandinavia. He's still got his tash or has he got rid of that? Pardon? Has he still got his tash or has he, he has, got rid of that? He's still got it. He's it's got his head on upside down. And um, <laughs> But Priest, he said to me once, he said, you know, James, a lot of players don't like playing. It's too much. The pressure is too much. The attention, you know, it's a different thing to when you guys play, you know, your average Sunday league player or whatever. But, you know, it's anyway, listen, it's been great being having you in. Uh, Love being here, yeah. First you. player we've had in. So it's been a different insight for us. And um, you know, you it was brilliant when you were at Leeds. And uh so it's I imagine you wish you'd had him at Bolton, Chris. Uh definitely, yes. <laughs> and look, good luck with whatever you do in the States. It might not be. I might end up somewhere else, but who knows? Wherever I end up, it'll um I'll enjoy it. Excellent. So look, thanks very much, uh Chris and Sean Derry. Uh, the latest edition of four four two magazine is out now and it not only features uh, the various things that we discussed here, the interviews that Chris has done. It also features Andy Mitten's brilliant interview with Maradona. It's actually it's a brilliant story about tracking down Maradona in Mexico. Um, Susie Rack from The Guardian on the Lionesses, which obviously the, the, the Women's World Cup going strong now. Uh, Irvin Welsh uh, and, and his love of Hibs. And the really amazing story of the kidnapping of Alfredo Di Stefano. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via Spotify and iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter at 442. Are you on Twitter still? I am at the minute, yeah. I only use Twitter when I'm out of work. So I'm, I'm active on Twitter at this moment in time. I'm the opposite. I only use it when I'm in work. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> 
So what is it? At Sean P. Derry? It, Sean P. Derry, yeah. And uh, are you on, Chris? Yes, uh, C. Flanagan, FFT. Excellent. I'm James James Brown. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>